0: Welcome back to the Pennsylvania Prisons and Parole Podcast. We're brought to you by the Department of Corrections Communications Office. My name is Ryan Tarkowski, and I'm here with executive producer Kurt Bope. It's that time of year once again. Daylight hours are getting shorter, pumpkin spice is back in many forms, and back-to-school supplies are starting to appear in stores all across the Commonwealth. It's a bit different in the DOC, where the school year never really stops. Dedicated educators at each of our facilities work hard every day to prepare the incarcerated population for success upon reentry. Today, we're joined by Principal Michelle Lipko from SCI Waymark. She'll tell us all about some of the educational and vocational programs available at her facility and why they're so important, not only for her students, but for the larger community as well. Principal Lipko, thank you for joining us today. Can you start by just giving us an overview of the educational opportunities that's available to the uh, population at SCI Waymark?
1: Sure um first of all hello everyone it is my privilege to talk about the educational opportunities at sci Waymart. we currently have a little over 800 offenders here and we could divide our educational opportunities into two sections one is for mandatory students and it's more academic based it's for students who do not have a verified ged or a high school diploma so they're required to be students um however that's only about 30 percent of our students right now we have about 150 students. The majority, the vast majority, 70% are what we call voluntary students. So they're either involved in a vocational program, such as culinary, carpentry, or cosmetology, or they're just voluntarily taking classes. A lot take business classes, such as entrepreneurship and technology and business information. So our students, um, like I said, they're primarily voluntary ones, but they are all thriving. We, we meet them where they're at, and we move them along. Some some move great strides, some make minimal ones, and then we see this great leap. Um, so we're very proud of the work that we do, and we're very proud of our students and their efforts. Um, especially during the pandemic, when we weren't able to be with them in person, we sent them packets, and they were very diligent and very responsible about returning all their work and making as much progress as they possibly could.
0: So that's one question that I had for you. We're started by talking about it's back to school time and kids are, and young adults are getting ready to go back to uh, school or college. And I was thinking about that. And, and when you start maybe the 12th grade, you kind of have a baseline of what you learned in the 11th grade or college sophomores have a 101 class and then they might move on to a higher level education. With folks that have the varied backgrounds of, of the students you're working with, how do you set that baseline? How do you make sure everybody is working with the same starting point?
1: Okay. Well, our education program is just one of many and what we call DCE, the Department of Correctional Education. And we have certain requirements, certain parameters. And one of them is that we tape tests. T-A-B-E is the test of adult basic education. And once a year, we are required to give this test to our students. When we do that test, it's a computer-based test. We get data and that will tell us what their um, numeracy and literacy levels are. So we know where to begin them. For example, if a student has a 4.2 for um, literacy, that means that they're at the fourth grade, second month. So then we give them work at that level. Other students might be at 12.9, which means that they are ready for post-secondary education work. And so it's great that my students um, are able to have teachers that understand the data and can differentiate instruction to meet their needs.
0: So let's back up for for one minute. Tell us about your background. How did you get to where you are and uh, what kind of experience did you have before joining the DOC?
1: Okay. I am very fortunate. Since the fifth grade, I knew I wanted to be a teacher. So before I joined the DOC, for 29.25 years, I was a math teacher, hence the 29.25. I taught in New York City immediately after college um, as a member of the Jesuit Volunteer Corps. And then it's kind of like a Peace Corps for students that were in Jesuit universities and colleges. I was on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. I loved it so much. I stayed another year as a um, just independent volunteer. Then I taught in um, Western Connecticut for six years. And then I moved to Northeast PA and I taught at a high school as well as a career technology center. I have a master's degrees in curriculum studies and educational leadership. So when I saw this opportunity to come to corrections, I thought it would be kind of a combination of work and ministry. And that's really how I view my position. It's um, a wonderful opportunity. The Commonwealth is a great employer. And I can really use all my skill sets from being in the classroom, being in the career technology center, um, having leadership courses, having the right certifications to kind of um, strive to be an educational leader. For my staff, and just to be um, a principal, and a really very much a hands-on principal for the students.
0: Most of our listeners are never going to step foot inside a state correctional institution. We all kind of have an idea of what a classroom looks like. What does school look like and feel like at a facility like Waymart?
1: Okay, Waymart is a very old facility. It's it's brick. It's um, over a hundred years old, and it almost looks like something out of Harry Potter. However. The education department, we are in what's called the Ed Mods. So they're basically nice modular trailers. They are air conditioned. They are bright. They have windows. When our students are in here, when staff come into the education mods, they don't feel like they're in an institution. They feel like they're in a learning zone. And that's how we treat them. Um, So I think that might be one of the reasons why we have so many voluntary students, because it's a great opportunity to get off of the housing units and come into an environment where you're treated like a student and not a prisoner. And my staff, um, they give our students the utmost respect. And guess what? The students give it right back to us because we believe when you give respect, you get respect. So when I say my staff, I have three academic teachers, three vocational teachers, one business teacher, one guidance counselor, a librarian, and two library assistants. So our whole department, including me, is 12 people. Um, And my staff, most of them have been here longer than I have. This will only be my fifth year in November. So when I came here, all my staff were already working in corrections. And I'll tell you, I am continuously impressed with their compassion and with their dedication to their students. Um, I think they all really like their job. So I think that helps because of the size of the room. Like every person takes up 25 square feet. So my teachers can never have more than 12 people in the class. Most of them only have five or six at a time. We, you know, our population went from 1,500. We're back up to a little over 800, but we were down to 600 some. So there were times that my teachers only had one or two um, students in the classroom. And I would joke to the students, I'm like, you know, in the middle ages, royalty kings and queens and their children were taught by tutors this is this is what it looked like so you know we make the students kind of appreciate the opportunity that they have and um, my teachers are really able to give a lot of individualized attention uh, we don't have any discipline problems and sometimes if people have to drop a course it's for health reasons or other reasons but Our education, like we have classrooms, we call them classrooms, and they have posters on the walls, just like you would see in a regular high school classroom or college level classroom. We do have computers, however, they don't have access to the internet. So for example, they can do um, Word, but they can't do Google Docs. They can do Excel, but they can't do Google Sheets. They can do PowerPoint, and they can do Publisher, but they have no access to the internet. Um, They take a lot of their tests online. For example, carpentry students take NCCER testing online. We do GED testing online. The cosmetology licensing testing is um, computer-based. I should be saying computer-based instead of online. And um, some of the testing, like I said, the TABE testing and then some of the GED pre-testing is also computer-based. So we're so, fortunate that the students are able to use a mouse, to use a keyboard, to advance screens. But at no point, um, as you can imagine, in a correctional institution, that they would have access to the Internet.
0: So they're giving some experience with the tools and kind of preparing Absolutely. them for life uh, upon reentry. But obviously, for security reasons, they're not going online and, and they don't have the total freedom that, uh, that that they'll have upon reentry.
1: Yes, we Focus heavily on reentry, and we try to give them as many skills as possible to use in reentry. So, whether it's practicing for interviewing, public speaking, like I say, just basic keyboarding skills. I mean, some of them have never done right click and left click. They've been incarcerated for so long, they may have used a keyboard, but never a mouse. So, this is very important that we encourage our students to be as technology proficient as possible um, as a reentry.
0: Now, you mentioned the voluntary classes, but are, are there rules as far as getting a GED or a high school diploma? What do our folks, what what's mandatory for uh, incarcerated students or anybody that comes into a facility?
1: Okay, so if you come into a facility and you do not have a verified high school diploma, you can either opt to earn what we call a CSD, a Commonwealth Secondary Diploma, which is 16 credits. Um, you know, like three in math, four in English, three in social studies, three in science. You need a technology one, a financial literacy one. Um, You also need a health one. So you can go that route, which might work if someone came to us and they already had like 13, 14, 15 credits from a high school. Other students opt to do the GED, which is quite frankly more rigorous um, than earning the CSD. So if they have the ability and they're anxious to get involved in vocational programming, the GED can be a a faster route to getting off of the mandated list. Um, But you cannot take vocational programs such as the restaurant trades or the carpentry until you have their verified um, high school diploma or GED. We also teach Pathway to Success which is a great program to help people, um, they do a resume, they do an interest inventory, and they really kind of see where are their talents and where are their interests and what are career choices that would help them be successful as a reentrant. They look at data from um, different counties and they look at um, expected job growth in those counties. So if they know where they're going when they leave here, they'll know what kind of jobs will be available in that particular area of the state or even the country.
0: So once they have their GED or that post-secondary diploma, how do they decide what uh, classes to take vocational-wise? I think you kind of mentioned that, some of the testing and and skills assessment. Is there anything more to it?
1: Yes, there absolutely is. We have a phenomenal um, education guidance counselor. So they will send a request slip to her. Dr. Jane Kabuku will meet with the student and say, hey, you know, you sent me this request slip, you say that you're interested in cosmetology. She kind of explains to them. We even have them sometimes read out of the cosmetology book to make sure, because there's a lot of science with the skin diseases and stuff like that. If they don't have a reading level that would um, help them succeed in that class, we might encourage them to take a reading class to improve their um, comprehension. The other thing is with cosmetology, we have to look at the crime. If you have a sex crime, you're not eligible to be enrolled in cosmetology. Um, as far as the baking classes and the cooking classes go, it depends on how much time you have left here. Our baking class is only 12 weeks, but our cooks class is 36 weeks. So once you have your verified GED or CSD, they meet with our educational guidance counselor and they review the time frame for certain classes, maybe the requirements and then
0: um, they're put in a good fit. You mentioned that uh, you work with a guidance counselor at the facility. You're the school principal. Sounds like uh, my high school or or college. Is there anything else that people might be surprised about that you guys have at access to or how your school works that they might not think would happen at a, a secure facility?
1: Um, okay well we actually have a phenomenal library so um, I also oversee the library And we have a librarian and two library assistants. And then we're required to have another library called the Law Library. So that way offenders can research their cases and case law regarding their situations. So we have a library, uh, we have the Recreation Library and students or anyone, um, any offender can sign up and go to Recreation Library. It's open on Saturdays, it's open in evenings. The school just runs eight to four each day. And we do 12 weeks, and then we have a week off, 12 weeks, and a week off. So we are continuously um, enrolling students and delivering classes. Um, we not only teach in classrooms, some of the um, students here have severe um, mental illness. So I have very compassionate teachers. They will actually go on the housing units and teach the students there. Um, and then we have the RHU, which is the restricted housing unit. And we're required to provide um, educational programming there three hours a week. So I have a student who go. I'm sorry, I have a teacher who goes to the um, restricted housing unit three times a week to deliver programming there.
0: You mentioned a couple of the vocational programs. Can you just give me an overview of, of the vocational programs available at Waymart?
1: Yes, I think of the three C's. It's the carpentry, the culinary, and the cosmetology. Business classes are actually considered academic Um, But they are like entrepreneurship and the business information processing and technology. There's two separate uh, culinary courses as well as Serve Safe Manager. So before you can take the baking or the cooking, which is when they get to eat and make stuff, and those are the fun ones, you have to pass Serve Safe Manager. That's a six-week class. For the vocational classes, to get certifications, the students have to pay for them. Um, NACTI certifications are about $35.00. Um, The NCCER testing, they do not have to pay for for carpentry, but the cosmetology licensing, it's over $100 by the time you do the application and the police clearance. Um, So the students really have a vested interest monetarily and time-wise in earning these vocational certifications.
0: Now, you mentioned cosmetology, carpentry, and culinary, and we just posted some news on our blog recently that each of these areas have a new name can you tell yes, me about the uh, the naming contest and and what you came yes. up with? i thought they were great uh we we were talking around the office here and each of us liked uh, a different name as, as our favorite
1: well it was it was very exciting we had done previous like poetry um, contests and essay contests and i wanted something that maybe someone's really creative but they don't feel like writing an essay or a poem so it was kind of generic to just say the carpentry school so we put it out there um we have what's called an inmate channel so there are TVs in the day rooms and some people have their own TVs. And it's kind of like a ticker tape that goes along the bottom with like information going on in the institution. So whenever we do a contest, I have to get it approved by administration. I just said, how about if we name these areas? Because a lot of the people in those programs one day hope to have their own business and you'd actually want a catchy name for your business. So we had, like I said, over 50 entries for each one. And the carpentry school was level up. And then we have some very talented artists here, and they made that sign with a level, um, a carpenter's level. The cosmetology school was named Second Chance Salon, and the kitchen in our restaurant trades program, or culinary program, was called Cell's Kitchen, a play on the Food Network show, Hell's Kitchen
0: we 'll post a link uh, in the in the description of this podcast for folks to go to our blog and we'll have the artwork there yeah. um, I thought that the, the names the artwork it was it was all very creative and oh, and I'll the, tell the, you,
1: we have um, you know I can say the education department but let me just tell you that our administration backs us a hundred percent and central office you know encourages all this so nothing I do is done without you know the permission and the support of the people above me and they really have the same philosophy that I do that. You need to educate people if you don't want to see them again. And when people have education, they not only have skills, but they have confidence. They have creative um, problem solving. They have analytical problem solving. They have better communication skills. So they believe that education really reduces recidivism, and they support everything that we do.
0: But the uh, reducing recidivism is a major goal of everything we do in corrections, but you also teach – incarcerated students that maybe don't have a release date coming up, correct? Isn't it uh, available for for everybody?
1: Right. We have a few lifers um, in our programs, and we really feel that by having them in there, we can develop them to be leaders in this institution. So even if someone is going to be here literally for the rest of their life, they can still be a positive influence to other offenders on their housing units, if they are in groups, if they are with a work crew. You know, anytime someone can think creatively and think analytically, it's not a bad thing. So and yes, even though not all of our students um, get out, we have a small portion that will be here for life, they can also become stuff like teacher aides, they can become housing unit tutors, and like I say, they can just be an overall good influence on other people in this institution.
0: And the vocational programs give back to the facility, correct? I saw something about uh, flower beds being made for the intermediate yes. care unit. Our
1: carpentry class did a project for the intensive care unit. Which meant that the offenders on that unit were able to grow and see the growth of vegetables and flowers, and you know that that's very good for their mental health. And what was impressive is that every single student in the carpentry program was able to participate in that project at some level, whether it was painting, cutting, you know, nailing. They all participated in it, um, so that was great. And really, we've had an amazing summer, so we have some really great um, plants in those flower beds and flower.
0: So big picture, what, what would you want the takeaway to be? What would you want people to know about your students?
1: Okay, I would want people to know that my students are people, they're not prisoners, and they are people with inquisitive minds, and they're people with abilities, and they are people that are going to be returning to communities. So it is the mission of my staff and me to educate these people as much as we possibly can so that when they return to our communities, they are a benefit and not a hindrance. And that, just like any other teacher, we meet people where they're at. We don't look at their crimes. We don't judge them by what they've done. We see the potential in them, and we try to give them as many skills as they can acquire here, so they don't return here.
0: So school never ends at SCI Waymart. What are you? It looking- never
1: ends, and we want them to be lifelong learners. And it is taxpayers' money well spent.
0: What's next for the school at SCI Waymart? What's coming up? What are you looking forward okay, to? What's so on the horizon? We
1: are very. Um, two things are coming up next month we are having a career re-entry fair which because of covid was virtual for two years so we're actually bringing in employers and college representatives and agency representatives um, so our career reentry fair we're working with parole we're working with the reentry office so that way our students have the chance to interact with people that can help them plan their future um, the second thing that we're planning is an in-person graduation once again with covid we weren't able to have a full-scale in-person ceremony. And at the end of October, we will have speakers and we will have guests. We'll have cap and gowns. We'll have pomp and circumstance. We'll have delicious food prepared by our restaurant trades class. So we have much to um, look forward to in the fall of 2022. Um, As far as the next calendar year goes, we are hoping to increase our vocational offerings and have OSHA certifications and flagger certifications available to um, students because Central Office recognizes the um, large percent of voluntary students we have here and the need to give them as many employability um, certifications as possible before they leave here.
0: Principal Michelle Lipko, thank you for joining us and thank you for all you do for your students.
1: You're most welcome. It's my pleasure. Take care. Stay safe.
0: For more on Principal Michelle Lipko's work and all the positive things going on at SCI Waymart, click the Waymart tag on our blog at cor.pa.gov. While you're there, you can also check out articles from our other facilities. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Twitter at CorrectionsPA for all the latest DOC news. Thank you for joining us and listening to the Pennsylvania Prisons and Parole podcast, a production of the Department of Corrections Communications Office. For producer Kurt Pope, I'm Ryan Tarkowski. Until next time.